Good morning. It's so, so good to be together this morning as we begin this new series through the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark is the second gospel in our Bible. Beginning in the New Testament, you have Matthew and then Mark. The two other gospels are Luke and John. Over the next 17 weeks, we're going to journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. On this journey, my hope for all of us is, is that we'll learn to follow Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This gospel was, was written for the purpose of convincing the reader that Jesus is the Son of God and to encourage them to hold fast to this confession. One commentator says Mark is a witness document, a witness document. The purpose is to see the lost found, the blind see, the dead to be raised to life in Christ Jesus. So with this being our first ser sermon in this series, I think it's, it's right for us to set the stage for us. We need to understand a little background of Mark, right? This gospel written, I mean, almost 2,000 years ago. So who was Mark? Acts 12.25 tells us his name is John Mark and that he accompanied Paul and Barnabas as they were heading out of Jerusalem. Acts 15, 36 to 41, tells us that Paul and Barnabas split because of Mark. You see, Mark had left them on their first missionary journey, and Paul was a little salty over this. He was like, Barnabas, you take him. He's not going with me on this next missionary journey. I'm taking Silas with me. And at this point, we see these believers actually part ways. But there's good news. Because in Colossians 4.10, Paul tells us he was actually Barnabas' cousin. And then he says, welcome, Mark, as he comes to you, Colossae. In 2 Timothy 4.11, as you know, 2 Timothy is the last book written by Paul. He's about to die. He knows this. He's about to go spend eternity with Jesus. And this is, this is amazing. 2 Timothy 4.11 shows us that Paul's relationship with Mark was reconciled, and now he's useful for ministry, right? I don't know how long they were split up in ministry, but at the end of Paul's ministry, we see them reconciled and says, hey, bring him to me. He's useful for ministry. 1 Peter 5.13 shows, shows us Peter saw him as his son in the faith. They had a great relationship. This is my son. Welcome him. What an incredible man, right? We see the ups and downs in Mark's life, but what an incredible man to have written this book for us. When was it written? Seems like it was written somewhere between AD 64 and 67. So just to, just to have a little framework, this is about 30 years after Christ's death. And this is during the persecution of Nero, where Christians were blamed for something they didn't do, and Nero used it in order to persecute them. It was, it was so bad. There's stories of Christians being hung up on light posts, poured, with, poured oil over and lit on fire to light the gardens around the palace. Right? This is what they were doing. They were being fed to wild beasts. Like so, so in the middle of what Mark is writing, and he's writing to his persecution, gross persecution. We think Mark was in Rome as he was writing this, and, and Peter was his really his main eyewitness to everything that happened. 
he was getting these stories from Peter, firsthand account of all of this. Why was it written? Why was it written? It's a pastoral response to encourage Christians to continue in the faith in a context of suffering and persecution. It's also an apologetic. It is a witness document. Mark is, Mark is going to show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. One commentator put it like this. Mark wants us to see Christ as the suffering servant Savior. And he so arranged his material to show Christ as one who speaks and acts and delivers in the midst of crisis. In the midst of crisis. Some major themes in this book are discipleship. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And that's what we've really entitled this series, A Journey to Follow Jesus. A Journey to Follow Jesus. There's enduring persecution, a call to endure as believers in Christ. And then there's a high Christology. We learn so much about Jesus. Just right in verse 1, we learn that he is the Messiah, the Christ, and he's the Son of God. But throughout this, what we'll see is we'll see Jesus. Mark presents a, a balanced picture of Jesus. He's both the suffering servant and the divine son of God. It is at the cross that his sonship and servanthood meet. The key verse in this, in this gospel is Mark 10, 45, where Jesus says, I didn't, come to serve, but to, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came. He wanted to see lives radically changed. He wanted to give his life up so that we may live. That was Jesus' purpose for the glory of God. Mark writes in a way that everything is in vivid eyewitness news briefs. I mean, he is moving. As we go through, you're, you're going to see he moves so quick. He uses the term immediately over 40 times, which adds to the rush and busyness of Jesus' life. If you were to sit down this afternoon and read right through the Gospel of Mark, it would take you about two hours, which is, which is amazing. You need to do that. You can listen to it. If you listen to it on like one and a half speed, you know, you, you cut 30 minutes off. You know, listen to it on two speed. Like, come on, you can do it in an hour. I would encourage you this week to read through the Gospel of Mark. Mark really can be split into two parts. Chapters 1 through 8 answer this question, who Jesus is. In chapters 9 to 16, answer why he came, why Jesus came. Dr. Aiken, he says there's four strategic confessions in the gospel of Mark. The first one right here in verse 1, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The next we see in Mark 8, 29, Peter's confession to the question, who do the people say that I am? Peter, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the Christ. In, verses, in chapter 14, 61 to 62, Jesus' confession to the high priest's question, are you really the Christ, the Son of God? Jesus says, I am. And you'll see. He says, you'll see. And then, as the book closes out in 1539, a Roman centurion who has witnessed the death of Jesus, participated in the death of of Jesus, this is what he says, truly. He's looking at Jesus, the, the Son of God, dead on the cross. He says, truly, this man was the Son of God. Four strategic confessions all, all around who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
as we begin this series, this journey through Mark, like I said, we're going to be here through December, 17 weeks. I want you to ask this question. What is this study of the gospel of Mark going to make of you and me? What's it going to do? How's it going to affect your life? My prayer for myself, my prayer for us is that as we go on this journey in following Jesus, we will be made more like Jesus and call others to do the same. Come and follow me as I follow Christ. Mark tells us the story of Jesus to help us understand who Jesus is and why he came. At the core of this message, he wants us to repent and believe and follow Jesus all the days of our lives. Whether tribulation or trial, whether persecution or suffering, he wants us to follow Christ. So today we begin in Mark 1, 1 to 13. This will set the trajectory for the rest of our series. And really our big idea from this passage is be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Very simple. For, for believers in here, hey, let's be convinced again, right? We need the gospel. We need to treasure Jesus above all else. Be convinced this morning that he is the Christ, the Son of God. For those who are maybe exploring Christianity, don't really know yet who this Jesus is, my prayer for you is that you would be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through being convinced, your lives would be radically changed. I want to read our passage, and then I want to pray. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can pick one up in the pew in front of you, and it's on page 785. Uh, as you came in, I hope you were able to grab one of those journals. It's a free gift um, from us. It's a journal through the Gospel of Mark. Um, there's bookmarks that will help you as we go through this series over this semester uh, so you can keep up with the reading and know where we're going each week. Mark 1, 1 to 13. This is what Mark says, the, be the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Pray with me. Our Father, we, we need your spirit now to help us, to teach us, to guide us. Oh, Father, we want to understand who Jesus is. We want to see him clearly. 
we need your power in order to do that. Illuminate our minds and our hearts that we may understand your word. Lord, may we truly see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We pray all this in his name. Amen. So be convinced, right? We want to be convinced. Why do we need to be convinced? Well, if we're convinced of something, that's, that means we truly believe it. Right? We have a lot of different worldviews, a lot of different messages that are thrown at us each and every day. Right? From, from a college campus where you're sitting in classrooms where you know, the gospel is not central to your major. So you're hearing different ideas, different worldviews, different messages come in. You may need to be convinced this morning that this is the true message upon which we lay our lives down, upon which we build our lives on, right? In the workplace, you hear different messages. You hear different ideas. They're being thrown at you constantly, right? You need to be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Even in our churches, right, we may hear different messages that forget Jesus and they build on something differently. This morning, I want us to be convinced. And I think these first 13 verses give us four reasons why we should be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Four reasons why Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In verse 1, Mark is opening up his, his gospel. And he, he begins with this word, the beginning of the gospel. This, this beginning language, we see it in two other books. Uh, maybe even three. Hosea has it as well. But really two that, that we're probably more um, familiar with. Um, Genesis, right, in the beginning. And then John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning. Right? G, Mark here is, is using the same terminology, the beginning of the gospel. He wants us to see the Genesis, the, the beginning, the, the start of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and then he introduces us to the main person here. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But before he says that, he says the beginning of the gospel. This gospel word would have really perked the ears of Romans, but also of, of Jews that are, that are reading this and hearing this. For, for the Roman world, this, this word, gospel, holds significance and weight because many times it was attributed to Caesars, and that was their Lord. Caesar is Lord. The ancient world would hear this when they heard the word gospel. An historical event which introduces a new situation for the world. Right? A, an, an historical event which introduces a new situation for the world. How true is this about Jesus? Right? This is where we get our calendar from. This is where we get the, our, our dates from. Like, yes, this is right. It's a new situation that has radically changed the world. It's good news. It's joyful tidings. The content of this good news, is, it focuses, the central figure is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. This, this word Christ here is Messiah, anointed one, the promised one that we see from the scriptures that's coming. He's the one that the prophet spoke about. He's coming. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. This, this is blasphemous if it's not true. The Son of God. This is deity. He, Mark here is saying Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. It's his identity. It's this father-son relationship. We'll continue to, 
to, to look at this as we move through Mark. But if Jesus is the Son of God, then he's worthy to be worshipped. Hopefully we'll be convinced of this today. Our first reason to be convinced comes from verse 2 and 3. The Old Testament testifies to who Christ is. You see, Jesus, he fulfills the Old Testament. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is a combination of, of Exodus 23:20, 20, a messenger sent to prepare the people for the promised land. This is Malachi 3.1, the messenger who will prepare the way. Isaiah 40, verse 3, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This is a second exodus through the wilderness, just as Israel ventured out of Egypt through the wilderness. Jesus is going to come out of the wilderness to bring a new exodus. The Old Testament testifies to the coming of the Lord and there being one who will come before to prepare the way. One commentator puts it like this. I love this. Just, just listen to this for a second. The introductory tapestry of Old Testament quotations, listen to what it does. It not only links the person and ministry of Jesus inseparably with the preceding revelation of God in the Old Testament. Right, it, it links him. He, he can't be separated, but then listen to this second thing. But it makes the person and ministry of Jesus non-understandable apart from it. You don't get who Jesus is without the Old Testament. Right? We get a fuller picture of who Jesus is if we know the Old Testament. That's one of the reasons we want to study the Old Testament in equip class next week and, and through the next couple of months. Right? We want to understand the Old Testament so we get a, a fuller picture of who Christ is. He fulfills the Old Testament. He's the one that's promised from Genesis to Malachi. He's the Old Testament. He's the, he's the yes and amen of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Mark is showing us that the Old Testament testifies to the one who will prepare the way of the Lord. And then he shows us who that is. It's John the Baptist. John testifies. John testifies. So not only the Old Testament testifies, but John testifies in verses 4 through 8. We're introduced to John the baptizer, or as Baptists like to call him, John the Baptist, right? There are lines we can draw to other practices of what John is doing, right? He's, he's baptizing, he's introducing a baptism, but really this is a unique baptism to John's ministry. He is calling people. He's, he's, he's baptizing in the wilderness, and he's calling people to this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, he was calling people to turn from the world and its ways and find forgiveness. He was preparing the way for the one who could make this possible through his death. Right? He, he says, hey, come. This is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it says that people from Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. They were confessing their sins. They wanted to find forgiveness. And he was preparing the way for this, for the one who would come, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Thousands were coming to be baptized. One, one author said there may have been upwards of 300,000 people that were coming to be baptized under John's ministry. It seems as if revival had broken out in the wilderness. 
people's lives were being changed. Mark goes on and he says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I don't think this is prescriptive for us, right? We don't, we don't need to do this. If you want to, you can. But it gives us a description of who John was. Right? And it, it really likens him to the prophet Elijah. You see this in 2 Kings 1.8. And, and really, this, this is a, a beautiful picture of who John was. It's who his identity was. In John 3.30, we read that, that, that John says, talking about Jesus, I must decrease and he must increase. This is who John was. His, his humility overflowed in his life. We see it from his appearance. right? He, he was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt. We see it from his, from his, from his home. He, he lived in the wilderness. That's where he was. From his diet, he ate locusts and wild honey. That's not my choice of food. I like honey, but I don't know about grasshoppers. Right? We see, we see it in his message. Listen to verse 7. This was his message. This, he, he understood his place in the kingdom of God. He understood where he, what he was doing. He has Just imagine this. He has thousands of people coming out to him to be baptized. He is known. He is a celebrity pastor. Right? But he says, no, it's not about me. It's not about me. He was pointing, he was preparing the way for something far greater. And that's what he says in verse 7. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He says, he says, I'm not, I can't even be a servant to this guy. I'm so unworthy, I can't even touch his shoes. Lane in his commentary, this is what he says. John is important, not for his own sake, but, at, but as the beginning of the unfolding drama of redemption, which, which centers in Jesus of Nazareth. Right? It's not about John, it's about Jesus. John is pointing us to Jesus commenting on this idea of not worthy to stoop down and untie. In no stronger manner could the mystery and the dignity of the coming one be emphasized. John is pointing us to to someone who is amazing, who's incredible. It's Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. John testifies the one who is mightier than he. John baptizes with water, but Jesus is coming and will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And just like that, Jesus appears on the scene. We're introduced to John. He testifies. But then another reason to be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Father, testifies at Jesus' baptism in verses 9 through 11. At Jesus' baptism, we see him coming from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. It says, when he came out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. This is the first time we're introduced to this idea of of immediately in Mark. We're going to see it 40 plus more times. But I just want you to pay attention to what happens as Jesus comes out of the water. Three things happen that are supernatural. First, we we read that the the heavens were being torn open. This is a this was a prophecy in Isaiah 61, really a prayer request. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. It's supernatural. There's one other place that we see something torn in Mark. The heavens are torn here, 
And then the temple curtain is torn at Jesus' death. Again, we, we see the heavens torn, but then we see the Spirit descending on him like a dove. This is an anointing, the divine presence, the approval. Third, we see the voice from heaven, the Father saying, you're my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. This is, this is approval, this is Jesus' identity. Sinclair Ferguson says here in this, in this passage, we see a public inauguration and an identification. His baptism inaugurates him publicly into his role as the priest who bears away the sins of men in order to bring them forgiveness and salvation. The rending of the heavens, the descent of the Spirit, and the declaration of God do not alter Jesus' essential status, but serve to indicate the cosmic significance of Jesus' submission to the servant vocation and affirm God's pleasure in the Son. Y'all get that, man? This is incredible. This approval of who Christ is, the cosmic significance, it's going to impact the world. Not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, not just Samaria, not just the ends of the earth. It is a cosmic renewal that Jesus is bringing in. He's the Christ, the Son of God. He becomes like us in his baptism. He identifies with us in his baptism. Jesus didn't need to repent of his sin. He didn't need to confess his sin, but he, he comes and identifies with us. The dove or the spirit descending on him like a dove. The father's pronouncement testifying to Jesus as his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. Man, Mark is setting up this foundation for us to build on. This is the Christ, the son of God. This this little, this, this proclamation over Jesus by the Father can be found in Psalm 2, 7, Isaiah 42, 1. And then it even alludes to Genesis 22, 2, where Abraham is called to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. And it says, you're, you're one and only, your loved son Isaac. Here in the baptism of Jesus, we see this doctrine of the Trinity. Right? We believe in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here. We see it, the Father speaking over the Son, the, Son, the Spirit descending on the Son, the Son being baptized. This is not where Jesus is adopted as the Son of the Father. We don't believe in adoptionism. We believe that from eternity past, Jesus is the Son of God. He's not made the Son of God here. He's eternally been the Son of God. This is what Jesus' baptism teaches us. And we follow Jesus' baptism. That's, that's why we believe in believer's baptism. We follow his example. Come, repent, confess your sin, be baptized. So we've seen the Old Testament testifies to who Jesus is. John testifies to who Jesus is. The Father testifies to who Jesus is. And then as the Spirit descends, right, the Spirit descends on Jesus, and then the Spirit actually thrusts him, sends him out into the wilderness to be tempted. But in this, in this, we see another convincing reason. The Son prevails. The Son prevails. He is the Christ, the Son of God. The Spirit thrust Jesus out into the wilderness. Again, we see immediately. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, 
40 days. In, in Matthew and Luke, we know that Jesus is fasting. He's had no food. And he's being tempted by Satan. Here we see wilderness, Satan, wild animals, angels. Right? Jesus' obedience to God is affirmed and sustained in the wilderness. The precise place where Israel's rebellion had brought death and alienation in order that the new Israel of God may be constituted. Israel fell, Jesus prevailed. <laughs> right? Like this is incredible for us. This is incredible. He has a confrontation with Satan, which we, we know more about this, this confrontation in Matthew and Luke, right? Jesus faced temptation, three of them. He overcame each. He proved through this in the wilderness, this encounter with Satan, this encounter with this temptation that he's the better Adam, that he's the better Israel. He overcame temptation and was victorious over the evil one. But Mark also, he adds in a few other things that the other ones do not. Jesus was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. I found this intriguing. One commentator, this is what he says, why the, why the mention of wild beasts, the wild animals and angels ministering? Context. Right? Listen to this. Given the ravaging of Christians by ferocious animals during Nero's reign, it is not difficult to imagine Mark including the unusual phrase with the wild beasts in order to remind his Roman readers that Christ too was thrown to wild beasts. And as the angels ministered to him, so too they will minister to Roman readers facing martyrdom. And I found that, I found that really intriguing. A pastoral response, an encouragement to endure, an encouragement that the angels are going to minister to you as well. It's also showing the chaos of the wilderness. When Adam and Eve sinned, it affected all of us. They were thrown out of the garden into the wilderness. Israel went through the wilderness after, after Egypt. The problem with this, right, 12 and 13, is that this, this is just the beginning of the temptations. Yes, the sun prevails here, but this is just round one of the match, right? Jesus is going to take this, he's going to take this fight all the way to the cross, and there, that's where the knockout punch is landed. Satan will be undone. The evil one will be crushed. The serpent's head, oh man, will be crushed by the snake crusher. We'll get there in 17 weeks. But we know the end. That's the beauty of it, right? We know the end. Throughout this, these first 13 verses, I'm sure you've noticed the word wilderness. It comes up several times. I think this is important here in the beginning of Mark. Because Jesus now, he's about to enter into public ministry. Right? He's been baptized now. He's been tempted. And now he's about to go into the cities, into the villages, proclaiming a gospel. I think this is helpful for us as we think about the wilderness and the role it plays here. Here in the prologue, these first 13 verses, Jesus' public activity has not yet begun. And the wilderness represents a separation from ordinary life. With, with verse 14, the scene will change. And Jesus will be thrust into a ceaseless round of activity among the villages of Galilee. But for the moment, in this remote location... 
we can focus on Jesus himself as he faces alone the task which lies ahead. For the wilderness was a place of hope, of new beginnings. It was in the wilderness that Yahweh had met with Israel and made them into his people when they came out of Egypt. You see, Jesus is ushering a new beginning. He will prevail where Israel failed. He's thrust out into the wilderness, yet he overcomes. And that's where we really end today, is in the wilderness. Angels ministering to Jesus, knowing that the story doesn't end here. As our band comes back up and and we sing our final song, I want to challenge you with this. Today, we've been introduced to the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark desires for us to be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Throughout this book, we're going to see many more reasons to believe this message. Jesus is the one that all of history was waiting for. He's the most pivotal man in history. And he's made a way for us to be with God for eternity. Are you convinced? Are you convinced? If if you're convinced, there's a response that beckons you. And it's very simple. We're going to see it next week in Jesus' message, this gospel that he went and proclaimed, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins. Jesus took them on the cross. Believe that Jesus is sufficient. Believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day and you will be saved. John called the people to repent and they came confessing their sins. The call on you today is to confess your sins and look to Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. He now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for his people. He truly is Christ, the Son of God. I call you. If you have not repented and believed in Christ, come. Come today. I encourage you to speak to someone, maybe someone who invited you, one of the pastors here. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this incredible picture of who Christ is. He is the Son of God. He's come to take away the sins of the world. Father, I pray that we would make him known throughout our community this week, that we would glorify you for the rest of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.